I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Creek Devil. Britain is joining me today. How are you today? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Um, now you sent me some audio recently, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um I'm going to hand you the microphone and tell me about the experiences that you've had leading up to this time. Yeah, so I believe this was back in maybe 2014. I had a pretty interesting encounter with one of these things. Um, It was late at night. I was uh, driving a friend home and we were taking some back roads to get back to their house. And it's, it's a pretty windy road and it's, it's near a, the pretty big river. And I don't know, it's pretty secluded. It's a cool little shortcut to get to like the main part of the town. So as we were driving home one night, coming down the hill and I made this, this turn to go around the bend. And at the end of the bend, there was this, thing squatting down which originally I thought it was a bear and so I you know slowed down because I thought it would be pretty cool to see a bear out there you know even though I've seen him multiple times so I turn on my my headlights to you know get a closer look and when the eyes reflected it didn't reflect like a bear's eyes it was more of a yellow color so as soon as that happened (laughs) it piqued my interest so I was like oh what is that so I slowed way down and finally, I got closer to this thing, and I was maybe 20 feet in the car from this thing, and all of a sudden, it stood up. And as it stood up on two legs, you know, it it took three steps in front of my car, and those three steps got it all the way across the road. And it, it's a smaller road. It's maybe a 20-foot-wide road, just barely big enough for two cars to squeeze by each other. So not a huge road, but... It took uh, two steps or three steps across the road, and the whole time as it was taking those steps across the road, its face and head was turned towards me and just felt like it was staring right at me as it walked across the road. And just the, the mass of this thing, how wide it was, how big it was, just, oh, it scared the crap out of me. And I could see, like, the muscle definition in its arms and its legs, and it was dark brown and hairy and had no hair on the face and probably eight feet to eight feet maybe nine feet tall five feet wide it was just unbelievable and so when it got to the other side i looked over at my friend i said did you see that and they responded and said yes i saw that and we both looked at each other again and said what was that and to to this day it's still it still freaks me out thinking about that. When I drive through that road occasionally, I get like kind of goosebumps and an eerie feeling like, what the heck was that that we saw that crossed that road in front of us? And what, what part of the country is this, if I can ask? Yeah, so this is up in Washington State. Okay. It's about, yeah, yeah, it's about, as the crow flies, where I grew up, it's about 35 miles north of Mount Rainier. So it, it's, got to know it's pretty wooded out there and it's, and it's a beautiful place i love it but i, I yeah, grew up so, in that area too actually graham was where i grew up okay cool yeah that's an awesome place and and that's where i had my first encounter also oh yeah it's it, it to this day it still just kind of freaks me out knowing that something that big is out there and just like i mean i've seen bears i've seen elk i've seen bobcats coyotes, cougars, wolves. I've seen it all out there. And I have never seen anything that big or that walks on two legs and moves so smoothly. Almost walked like a human walks. So it was just, yeah, scared me. Scared me so bad when I saw that out there. 
Did you know much about the topic before that happened? No, no. I mean, growing up in Washington State, you know, Sasquatch is a it's a huge part of the the you know the state or more or less the culture and and everything like that. And I just I was never a believer. I was never a non-believer. I just you know figured out oh, whatever. Yeah, there's probably something out there. So I didn't know much about it until that happened. And after that, I really dove into the topic and did a lot of research on it and read a lot of cool Native American history on this topic of, you know, what the Native Americans, especially the Salish Native Americans use. You I mean, there's stories about these things. And so it was, it was fascinating for me to do some research after that happened. Did you get a sense of what it was doing when it was crouched down there? No, no, I had no idea because it's kind of an interesting, interesting location. And what, I don't, I don't know why it'd be on the other or why it was sitting on the edge of the road. Because essentially the timber, the timber line is right up against the road with maybe a foot of gravel between the road to the tree line. And I don't know if it was hunting because there's a lot of deer and a lot of elk. I mean, I've almost hit monster elk going through there. So and I don't know if it was hunting or, you know, there's others in the area that it's just sitting there making sure things are clear so they can move through the area. I mean, there's there's a few homes down there and a lot of a lot of people there all have dogs. So I, I don't know if that was something they were looking for an animal, like a small game, like a dog, easy picking or something like that. I, I don't know. But, you know, it just. Oh, man, it. It like gives me flashbacks when I think about it, just how big this thing was, you know, and how smooth it walked. How big do you think it was? I I bet you it was every bit eight to nine feet tall and five feet wide. So it had a it had a very robust build. Yeah, and it was just, and I was so close to it, and with my brights on, the thing just lit up because my the the headlights in my car were so bright, and. I mean, you could see the muscle definition in the arms and the legs as it walked across the road. Oh, so it didn't, just, it didn't have real long hair or anything? No, no. The hair wasn't super long. It was it was more like shaggy. It wasn't like, I don't know, long, long hair. Just, you know, I mean, decent length, longer than, you know, mm-hmm. hair on your arms. But still, it was long and shaggy. Um. Oh, I guess I didn't ask about color. Did you get a look at the color of the hair? Yeah. From what it looked like, it was like a real dark brown. Not not so much black, but like just a dark brown. From I mean, it was night, so but that's essentially what, what I saw with the lights on it. And you said it didn't have any hair in its face. Did you? Is there anything you could compare it to, what the facial features looked like? Well, I, it almost, not. I wouldn't say a flat face but it was almost like a human face. Right. And it, ha- it had a nose, it had a mouth that almost had like, almost like a human structure to a face, nothing like an elongated nose, like a bear would. It was more like sucked in like a human face with like a, a, you know, a slight nose, like the size of ours, more or less with a mouth and eyes, eyes, like predatorial eyes, kind of like ours sitting in the front of our head. And that's, and more or less there's some cheekbones in there and, it just, and when you think back on it, it almost felt like it as that thing, you know, it took three steps across the road, so it moved pretty quickly, but it almost felt like slow motion as I stared at this thing and watched it walk. Right. I just like, I absorbed so much information from this thing because I had never seen something that looked like that in my entire life. How'd you feel about that after you saw it? Oh man, it, it, it scared me. Because well, as soon as I went back and dropped my friend off, I came back through that road by myself and right through that area, I slowed down and, you know, rolled the windows down and just sat there for a second trying to hear or see if I could see anything again. And I just, it, I just got a, like a, a scared feeling. Like, it's interesting. What the heck was Right. It's interesting how you mentioned it was sitting next to the road um, and you thought it was a bear at first. I spoke with a person, a professional and I won't give away their profession, you know, out of courtesy for their current position. Right. Um, but they told me that they were uh, driving in an area very similar to your situation, but it was still in the afternoon. It was, it was still daylight. 
and they could see um, where the road, the road teed up ahead of this person through the timber. So they, they could see the skylight on the other side of it where it teed. And mm-hmm. they saw what they thought was a bear on the road until it stood up and walked off to the side of the road. Um, of course, it was obvious at that point that it wasn't a bear, but very, very yeah. similar kind of a situation. Oh, that's interesting. That's, that's cool to see that, you know, someone else has had something similar because, you know, at least I'm not the only one out there and I'm not, I'm not crazy, you know. It's, it's not uncommon. And I, I interviewed a couple ladies just yesterday uh, that um, had a, a similar kind of a situation up near Mount Rainier. And, uh, and, and I had to kind of chuckle because they were really into Bigfoot and all the paraphernalia and bought all kinds of things and, and then mm-hmm. went on a hike and ran into one. So, yeah. So let's well, go. Oh, well, go you ahead. Think, I was just going to say, well, you, you always think, oh man, how cool would that be to see one of those things or, or, you know, be in the same area as one and hear one. And, and after that, I, I hope I never see one of these again. It scared me so bad. You know, and and I love the woods. I grew up in on all this land out in Washington State, and you know, every chance I got, I was spending time in the wilderness. And you know, I like to ride dirt bikes and mountain bike and fish and all sorts of things. So I just I love the wilderness. And now after that, every time I go in the wilderness by myself, I always feel slightly paranoid. Like you know, I, I, I slightly feel like I have to look over my shoulder and. And I know listen, exactly you know? what you're talking about. I'm the same way. I, you know, I had my first encounter in that same region, probably not far from where you lived, um, yeah. back in 1974. And ever since then, I, I was the same way. I loved hunting and fishing and being in the outdoors, and especially the forest of of that part of Washington. And ever mm-hmm. since then, uh, it's never been the same for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's just. I mean, as, and as awesome as it is to be, you know, to be those more or less the select few that has actually gotten a chance to see one of these things, it still is just like, you almost wish it wouldn't have happened. Exactly. You know, you know if I think if I could go back, it wasn't something I wanted to happen. Of course, it, you know, we barely knew anything about it um, after finding footprints a couple of years before then and when it was told what they thought it was. You know, we didn't yeah. didn't think much about it. I didn't think much about it after that other than we saw these weird footprints in the snow and uh mm-hmm. didn't had forgotten about it by the time I ran into two of these things and and from that time on you know I, I kind of always wished in the back of my mind it hadn't happened I'd rather have been ignorant so I could have continued enjoyed uh, continued enjoying the outdoors yeah yeah absolutely I feel the same way so let's move forward then to the recording you sent that was very interesting uh you yeah, want to talk yeah, about that talk. yeah um, so you want me to just kind of explain where it was? And yeah, what were you doing and, and how that came about? So it's just, not, I wasn't doing anything out of the no, out of the, the norm. Uh, it just was like a happenstance, right? So we were, you know, so I, since two years ago, moved away from that area. And, and I was back, back home and we were up there for a cousin's wedding. So, um, you know, it's as we were just sitting around, hanging around in the house, my, my mother opened the door to let her dogs outside, you know, to go to the, the bathroom and everything. So we're just sitting in there and she comes back in and says, Hey guys, come outside. There's, there's coyotes out there. And so that piqued my interest. I like to just go outside and sit in nature and listen to animals and things like that. I I think it's fascinating. So, you know, we went outside pretty much, my whole family and my wife and everybody, we all stepped outside. And as we heard this thing, my first thought and the first thing I said was that is not a coyote. You know, we have grown up, there's coyotes all over that area. Oh yeah. And that did not sound like a coyote. You know what a coyote sounds. It's it's nothing like a coyote. Yeah, nothing at all. So that was my first thought. And that's the first thing I said. And so as we just sat there, we just started listening to this thing howl and it went on for, you know, a couple minutes and I was like, I got to pull my phone out. So I pulled my phone out and I hit record just to, to record. And obviously the audio on your cell phones is not, you know, not amazing, but it, you know, it captured it and it, it did that for a good, you know, 10 minutes more or less. And we finally all went inside and 
then I went back outside and it was still going. And I sat wow. outside by myself listening to this thing. And man, I sure got the creeps. I got goosebumps. I just got a, a, a like an eerie feeling. And I, even though I was right next to the door, I could just turn and walk inside, you know, I still was just like, that is so strange because I've heard all the animals in that area and I've seen them all. And I have never heard anything that sounded like, like this thing as it was yelling or howling or whatever you want to call it. You know, you know, it's interesting to me after I listened to it, I thought, you know, I've heard that in the wild myself a number of times, but also there have been recordings, especially in that region um, that I'm aware of. There was one, they called it the Snohomish Screamer from the 70s. Um, mm, and of course, okay, the Puyallup yeah. Screamer. And, and of course, mm-hmm. I live just a few miles south of Puyallup, so uh, we heard yeah. those things. Uh, in other parts, you go up and down the coast, there are recordings out there people have made of that very sound in different regions. And uh, oh. and I knew immediately when I heard the recording you sent. And folks, I'm going to try to attach that to this, uh, to this show. Hopefully it'll... I can do that. Uh, if not, maybe we can get it on the website. But I'm going to try to attach it here so you can hear it. And and again, it's very, very reminiscent of all these other kinds of recordings. And, and again, in that area, it's not that far from Snohomish. So, um, yeah. you know, lots of years of the same things going on up there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and just, I mean, just at the beginning of your show and in the introduction where you you know you have a few people and they're talking about their quick like you know your little clips of people and then mm-hmm. it's got the scream in there it almost sounds exactly like that scream it's very similar isn't it yeah yeah it is and i mean and as soon as i got done with that you know recording that and i stepped inside i immediately went on youtube and looked up just to double check myself even though i knew that that's that was not an animal i've ever heard i looked up every different kind of call from elk bugling to coyotes to wolves to cougars to to bears i looked it all up multiple different videos on on you know youtube and different sounds and it does not even compare or come close to anything that makes that kind of noise and you know with coyotes you and i both know from growing up in that area uh, and other people know from other areas too coyotes are usually in packs they're very yippy and mm-hmm. barky mixed in with that <laughs> howling um, you really can't mistake that. I mean, that's those bursts you can hear it in your audio and, and the others that have been recorded around the re- different regions um, are kind of these long, drawn out affairs. And from start to finish, they're kind of consistent in their uh, tone and, and loudness. But it was interesting. I, I knew, I, I thought, you know, with the amount that you recorded and what you told me, I thought, well, that must have been going on for some time beforehand. But you said it continued afterwards also. Yeah, yeah, it did, and and I I couldn't tell you how long it was going on before, but yeah, it w- it went on for a good ten minutes, if not longer, and then I went inside and came back out and could still hear it, and yeah, I just was I was just imagining if I was outside camping by myself or something like that remotely and heard that noise, I I think I would have packed up and got the heck out of there, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. What time of day was that about? <laughs> It was probably 10 p.m., 10.30, 10 p.m. somewhere in there. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's kind of typical with these things' behavior also. Usually, uh, and of course, you know, it was already dark well before then, I'm sure, but because uh, mm-hmm. that was pretty recent. But, uh, yeah. yeah, they. Uh, I've been in places where they would start that howling, you know, around that time of evening, and, and it's pretty scary when you're out in the woods. Yeah, yeah, and even though you're right next to your house, you're still like, what the hell is that? You know, I just got to, I'm it going kinda, inside. I, it kind of puts you on notice, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like, and you know, as you're sitting there listening to it, trying to figure out what it is, it just, it almost like intensifies it. Cause you're, you're listening even more to try and figure out what it is. And it's, yeah, it's still, it's still kind of eerie. Did you make the connection with the creature that you had seen previously? <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I mean, I I think it's very, where it was coming from, where it sounded like, is very more or less close to the same area on where I had that encounter. So I guess in a way that's kind of the connection I made. And, you know, after trying to figure out where it came from, I, I, 
I know, so right behind my, the property line, it butts up against uh, a major power line. Yeah, I looked and at it on from, Google Earth. Yeah, so from previous things that I've heard you talk about and different researchers and articles and stories or whatever it is, I, I know from you, you talked about how these power line trails are almost like a super highway for these things. It's Well, it's because they're they're kind of game trails. You know, deer and elder yeah, animals absolutely. use those open areas. I mean, they're going to go the path of least resistance. So that's uh, a great place yeah. to grab a meal. Yeah, absolutely. And and so after I got on, you know, and I, and I know the area well, but something that piqued my interest as well is as the, you know, from my house as the crow flies, it's less than a mile to the headwaters of the Seattle watershed. And in that Seattle watershed, it is thousands of acres out there that is 100% protected and off limits to people. Yeah. That's so big country. I there. made that connection. What's that? Yeah. That's big country up there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I kind of made that connection. Well, maybe that's where these things, you know, travel to and from because, there's it's thousands of acres that it's untouched by more or less by humans. You know, you can't go in there. So it, it, the, after that is like, okay, well that makes a connection because that power line trail runs almost perpendicular to more or less the headwaters of, you know, the Seattle watershed area. You know, I was very interested when you told me the location of uh, where you were, I looked it up on Google earth and uh, because I, I mark all the areas where things happen, where I've experienced stuff too. And right. within a couple of miles of that location, um, I don't know if you've heard me talk before, but uh, about a family friend of ours found a, a bear carcass. And he said it was very odd. I mean, normally, you know, you know, you don't find bear carcasses out in the wilderness. Um, right. They're usually scavenged long before anybody might come on anything like that. Uh-huh. So I, I went with our family friend out to the spot and... You know, there there's farms and things around there. There was lots of dogs, lots of coyotes, lots of everything in that area. And this carcass was absolutely untouched. Now, it was just the skeletal remains and some hair. But for that to be there that long, it should have been, there should have been some scavenging. And there mm-hmm. hadn't been nothing. Nothing touched this animal. Uh, and the only oh. thing that you could see, that now, I don't know if it was Bigfoot related, but it was very odd because... The front of the skull was completely caved in, like something hit it from the front and smashed the snout into the skull. Wow. But the rest of that animal, it, it where it fell, was completely untouched. And, uh, wow, that's... Yeah, I, I, like I said, like, I can't say it was Bigfoot because I don't have any direct proof of that, but you have to ask yourself, with all the activity going on in that area, and it has been going on for a long time, what else could have done that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the way you describe the skull, what other animal, you know, attacks or kills its prey by hitting it in the head or, or crushing its skull, you know, like the way you describe it. It's and this very was interesting. Full, and this was an adult bear. Wow. So, yeah, and that's nothing to mess with. No. <laughs> I, I have to really scratch my head over that one, even though it's that happened back in 1980. In 1980s when we found it, so it would probably been lying there for, well, it could have been there for a year for all I know. It's Like I said, it was all skeletal remains only, and some of the animal's hair was there. But uh, with the close proximity to the neighboring farms, and there, there was people relatively close by with pastures and things like that, so I thought, geez, you know, something should have scavenged on this creature and nothing had touched it. Yeah. Very unusual. Oh, that's really interesting. That's, that's crazy. That, I mean, I can't even imagine stumbling upon that thinking, what the heck did this, you know? Yeah. Our family friend, I think he was out looking for mushrooms or something. He used to pick chanterelles and sell them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oh, that's cool. what he, I think that's what he was doing. And when he found this, it's just, uh, just really bizarre. So you do find some weird things, but it was so close to where you recorded that audio. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it makes you, I don't know, at least it makes me a little more nervous. <laughs> knowing <laughs> that, you know, not only witnessing it, but then hearing it and then hearing that story that's in the same area. It's just, well, and and what's interesting in that area, is, yeah, there's some homes around around that area. They're starting to build more and more, but but at the same time, the vegetation and the brush, it's, it's so thick out there. So thick. That, 
you, you from the main road, you look into the tree line and you can see maybe a couple feet if that. And even in the even in the midday, because the forest is so dark, even in the sunlight, you look in there and you can't see much. So it's it, it's such an easy place to for these things to hide. And, you know, no wonder that they're, they're so good at eluding people. You know, I've talked to people privately many, many times when they ask that question, how come they're not seen more often? Well, number one, they are seen quite a lot. Uh, but secondly, yeah. it depends on where you are, because if you're here, like in Northern California, um, yeah, there's, you know, areas that are have a lot of forest, but there's not a lot of underbrush. So you can see quite a bit farther out in that kind of terrain, same with Eastern Oregon and yeah. parts of Southern Oregon. But you get on the Western side of the Cascades, the vegetation is a lot thicker, and especially mm-hmm. in that part of Washington. I, I've got a picture of myself on a on a trail. Uh, well, I can't call it a trail. It was more of a deer trail into an area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a place as you're going up towards Mount Rainier. The area is called Fairfax. There used to be a little town up in that area many, many years ago. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I, I wanted to hike down. I, I remember hunting up there with my dad one year when I was growing up. When you can still actually drive down there, but it's, you know, roads that's been blocked off for many years. So you have to hike now through there on a deer trail. And um, in the picture that you can see just how, and the idea we had took the pictures to show people just how thick that brush is. And literally you can't see more than a foot or two on either side of where I'm standing in the picture. It's just, and you know very well, people from that area know just how thick the brush is up there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, absolutely, and especially, like, in this area, because I don't know how long ago it was, but they came through and clear-cut a bunch of a bunch of areas out there, and then after it's clear-cut and it regrows, it it almost becomes twice as thick. All that leafy stuff grows in first. Uh, yep, yep, and so it makes it even harder to see through that stuff. You know, More and, that, already and that provides, yeah, you're correct, and that provides a lot of, a lot of uh, nutrition for these things because... All the animals like deer and whatever else eats leafy plants are attracted to those locations. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, it kind of reminds me of what, um, I can't remember his name, but you had him on on your show, I think a few weeks ago, and it was, he was part of the forest ranger, or did did stuff with the trees for the, I don't know if it was for the BLM or. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and he he mentioned, you know, um, talking about how the deer, and animals just come in and just scavenge all those new growth plants and everything oh, yeah. like that after the forest has been clear cut and replanted. You bet they do. It's and a big so, attraction for yeah. them. I know yeah, people so used it, may, to, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, people used to say to me, oh, well, you know, those areas are burned off. That must be, you know, kill off any kind of, you know, activity for Bigfoot. And I told them, no, the opposite's true because <laughs> of all the animals that are drawn to those places. And you know how fast those areas bounce back after they're burned or cut. It's very quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, this kind of reminds me of what you kind of just said about people saying, well, how come we don't see them more and all that stuff? Well, I had a good, uh, um, a guy I work with, he's, you know, he was explaining something to me that made a lot of sense. And he said, He's been hunting his family's property in Montana for, I think he said 40, 41 years, something like that. And he he made a good point saying, I have never in my 41 years of hunting that area seen a bear or a cougar when hunting. But we know these things are out there, mm-hmm. but you just don't see them. And it's like, well, that just made so much sense to me because we know these things are real, but... If these, I mean, the deer are smart enough to know when hunting season is around. Right. A lot of times, they have a good a good sense and they leave the areas. Well, why wouldn't these? Why are these things any different? You know, exactly. They're going to do what all the other animals are doing. They're aware that humans, which are dangerous, and all animals know that, are out in the areas at that particular time of year. So they're going to vacate it. I have to laugh. Uh, we used to go hiking a lot up by the town of Ashford. And uh, mm-hmm. cool. every time, every time in the fall, we go up the right right before hunting season. All the deer and elk are hanging around right by the town in the pastures. <laughs> point that humans are dangerous, right? And these things know that humans are dangerous, and they know we're there before we know that they're there or that they were even there. Absolutely correct. Yeah, so it's just it's fascinating to know that something that huge can be so elusive. 
and just sit there and watch you and you have you don't even have a clue that they're there you know the other point too when you mentioned how thick the brush is um that's a protector and also i mean especially if you know we're kind of oblivious to a lot of things around us especially if you're driving out through a forested area if you're by yourself driving you know your your attention is mostly on the road ahead of you you're not looking a whole right. bunch to the left or right and even then depending on how thick the brush is you're not going to see very far left or right anyway and these guys right. oftentimes are active at night so even less visibility yeah yeah absolutely yeah, I can I can agree with you more on that. Well, I really appreciate you sharing with us all this information. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just I appreciate that you are, are put yourself out there and let people come and share these experiences with you because it. I mean, just for me personally, listening and and now getting to speak to you, it it helps me out so much because the the amount of people who think that these things are not real or people think that you're crazy for telling these stories or tell you you didn't see what you said saw it's, at the end of the day for me i have nothing to gain from any of this at all and and so it's such such a an amazing opportunity for people like myself to be able to come to you and share these with you so i appreciate you know all that you do and 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 everything for this subject and this topic well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And, you know, my outlook is it helps other people. When you and some of the other folks or all the other folks that talk on the show, you know, for every one one of you that come on here and will talk about the things you experienced, there might be 20 or 30 other people who will never talk about it, but it helps them immeasurably. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Re- it really does. I, yeah, and I listen to, to you know, to your your channel all the time and just – I mean, just like you said, people's experiences help me and it like helps me understand a little more and, and know that I'm not the only one out there. I'm not the only crazy one that has seen these things. And then it also helps me know that I'm not crazy. You know, I know what I saw. And Absolutely. Other people, other yeah. people felt the same way. I always have to wonder, it kind of makes me scratch my head when I hear people who've never seen anything say, oh, well, that can't be real. And they're telling people who saw this that it can't be real. I'm thinking, well... How do you know? You didn't see anything. This person did, who is much more believable because they're just relating a situation that happened to them. Whereas somebody who's just going to scoff because they don't like the topic. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And and at the end of the day, at least for myself, this this thing is, I wouldn't say scarred me, but it definitely kind of made me more paranoid. So it's, like I said at the beginning, I almost wish it wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened because it's like it almost ruined me for getting to go sit or walk through the woods or just enjoy nature because I'm consistently listening and, you know, head on a swivel because I would hate to run into these things being outside of a vehicle or, or some way to get the heck away from these things, you know. You know, I've camped for many, many years, especially with my, my brother-in-law and my old friends I've known since we were kids, and I was up there. Oh, a few months ago visiting my old friends and family and the guys wanted to go camping so we're up we're up by Mount Rainier in a tent and and I'm laying there usually used to be I'd just go to sleep you know and not be concerned but anymore it's like I'm laying there like you listening and wondering if something's coming around and I just didn't enjoy it like I used to yeah yeah absolutely that I I had the same experience camping out at Mount Rainier this was after I had my encounter, my brothers and I were, there was this cool, I can't remember the forest road. It's like forest road 72 or something like that out by Mount Rainier on the north side of Mount Rainier. You can drive out to a campground. And then if you go way past it, probably 15 miles out into the, to the woods, there's old clear cuts and there's an overlook that we used to go and camp and hang out up there. And I remember one night we were sitting there camping, just sleeping under the stars because it was a beautiful night and all of a sudden we just heard rustling in the bushes and it scared me so bad thinking it was one of those things and I grabbed my pistol and was you know telling my brothers to shine the light and and come to find out it was just a deer just sitting off the edge right but after you saw one of these things yeah after you see one of these things it's like your head's kind of on a swivel you're always wondering 
Yeah, yeah, and it's like it, it makes it not as enjoyable anymore. What advice would you have for people going out there? Oh man, I the only advice advice I think I would really say is just pay attention to your surroundings. That that's because I I feel like when you when you dive into Native American history or even like hunters who have been hunting for a long time, a lot of these people have the great awareness around them or, or like example people in the military who have served in the military they have such a good awareness around them and and that's one thing that i would say is just have a better awareness and pay attention to your surroundings just just so if you encounter one of these things you more or less are more prepared or can beforehand just leave if you don't feel comfortable in that situation or that area i think that's great advice yeah. And that's, I try to take my own advice on that, but sometimes, you know, you get, you get so focused on one thing and then all of a sudden you hear a crack, you know, a tree branch and you mm-hmm. stop and you're just like, <laughs> just like, all right, this is freaking my, I freak yourself out, you know? Yeah. But it is a good thing to be, you know, aware of your surroundings. And, and I always tell people, you know, if you're going to go hiking or being up in the woods, don't go alone if you can help it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and I I feel like that is not even for, you know, this topic of, of Sasquatch. It's in in case you encounter a bear or a mountain lion or something absolutely. like that. Like, or if you're hiking, I mean, there, I mean, what was that? Yeah, I've got a friend of mine yeah. that used, goes, used to go, I think he still does sometimes go hiking by himself. And, you know, especially as you get older, anything can happen where you could injure yourself. And, and at the very least... You know, if nothing attacks you, like a cougar or something like that, um, if you're not area or able to get a hold of anybody, you're in an area where you don't get cell service or, you know, and there's lots of places like that, you might not be able to call for help and you could die from hypothermia. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's, you know, it's always good to have the body system. Yeah. So there's just very simple reasons to, it's always good to have other people around. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree that 100%. And I like to try and take my dog when I go out. But at the end of the day, what you know, what's that going to do? More or less, it's for myself a peace of mind knowing that I got you know my pal with me. But at the end of the day, it doesn't help you much. It's, it's so much better to take someone else with you. Yeah, absolutely. The dog might alert you to something's presence. You know, mine, uh, when I had my first encounter, he ran up to the tree line, then he took off. So he wasn't any help at all. <laughs> yeah, left you high and dry. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're running a bit short of time. Britton, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on and letting me share share my stories. And hopefully this helps someone because it helped me talking to you. So. And you can you can always reach out to me and, you know, if something comes up or you just want to ask questions or chit-chat, get a hold of me anytime. Okay, well, I appreciate it. That helps me a lot, so thank you. Well, thank you very much, and uh, thanks for listening, folks. In Bigfoot History Mount Shasta area, California, August 1956. Mrs. J. Pomeray, Butte, Montana, wrote to Roger Patterson that she and others saw what appeared to be a bear run across the highway on two legs, taking big steps just north of Mount Shasta. Greetings. This story is being brought to you by William Jevening and is being narrated by me, Jim Sower. This is the Chetco County, Oregon Monster. 1890, the Chetco Monster, sometimes called the Chetco Indian Devil. Location is about 60 miles north of Willow Creek, California, and approximately 6 miles north of the California-Oregon border. The story begins. Then one morning, enormously large human footprints were discovered along the riverbanks. The loggers laughingly accused one another of having feet as big as chopping blocks. Everyone from the oldest to the youngest in camp measured his footprints against those of the unknown visitor. Since no one's feet were that large, 
One question was bandied about repeatedly. If those weren't a bear's tracks, whose were they? The mining operation was a small one, employing a dozen men whose families lived in tents alongside the river. For several weeks, nothing unusual happened. Occasionally, garbage cans were overturned at night by marauding bears. Sometimes the beasts were so troublesome that an armed guard stood by while the loggers felled the big trees. At the campsite, mothers watched their young children closely and forbade older boys and girls to play hide-and-seek in the forest. Even when they swam in the shallow river, an adult kept a sharp lookout for bears. Someone said there was a wild man living way up the river. He was an irritable old devil who threatened to shoot anyone who approached his cabin. No matter how bad the weather was, he never wore a hat or boots. He was always bareheaded and barefooted. Barefooted? Well, then the tracks were his. With the mystery solved about the tracks, the, the people were happy and they promptly forgot them. But several nights later, the sound of eerie whistling and angry shrieks awakened them. In every tent, men bounded out of bed and grabbed their guns, assuming there was a wounded bear nearby. No one lighted a lamp for fear of attracting the beast, and frightened children were warned not to cry. The spine-chilling noises went on and on. Sometimes they seemed close by, other times from the direction of the road or the river, but finally the sounds faded into the distance, and quiet returned to the dark campsite. At daybreak, the men gathered to talk. They debated whether it was a bear or a mountain lion. To satisfy themselves and ease their family's worries, a half-dozen men searched about for bear or mountain lion tracks. They found no mountain lion spore at all and no fresh bear tracks. However, at the edge of the clearing beyond the first stand of trees and dense undergrowth, they came upon more of the giant-sized human footprints. The men debated whether it was the old recluse. They agreed they had to catch the demented man before he killed someone. So, as quietly as possible, the search party backtracked along the line of footprints. These led them out to the road several hundred yards above the camp and up the road to the logging site. Here they found where the wild man had emerged from the forest into the open area and had prowled around tree stumps, piles of bushes, and the machinery used in loading the logs onto wagons. Then the men had a nasty shock. Massive, unwieldy tree limbs, far too heavy for one man to handle, had been pulled out of the tangled waste piles and either tossed aside like matchsticks or used to beat on the machinery. The searchers followed the tracks back down the road into the forest. For the first time, they noticed shrubs torn to pieces and saplings uprooted and whacked to shreds. This explained the thudding and snapping sounds heard during the night. The footprints circled the camp, went down the well-beaten path to the river, turning back to the road, went down it half a mile and turned off into the forest. The men pressed on as far as they dared. However, when the tracks plunged down into a steep ravine, they stopped. The gloomy depths provided too many hiding places for a demented killer. The Chetco Indians believed there were man-animals in the woods, the logger informed his friends. He had heard the story from a white man, whom the Indians trusted enough to take into their confidence. They claimed that for generations they had shared their hunting grounds with fierce-looking hairy creatures that walked upright like men. The strange beings were not human nor animal, neither friendly nor hostile. They were simply there, like every other man or wild creature, so the Indians left them alone. But very late on the third night, the frightening sounds were once again heard faintly from far off in the woods. People jerked upright in bed. As the whistling and screaming grew louder, in every tent men pulled on their trousers and boots and readied their guns. Obviously, the night howler was coming closer and closer. When he seemed only fifty feet away, 
One man took desperate action. Hastily fashioning a torch of oily rags and kindling, he set fire to it. Torch in one hand, rifle in the other, he raced into the woods. Meantime, the man's wife called for help. Within minutes, several men stumbled toward her in the darkness. They groaned when they learned that their comrade had gone into the woods alone. None hesitated to follow. But minutes passed while one dashed off to fetch a lantern and others supplied themselves with extra cartridges. Finally, the party headed into the forest in the direction from which the awful sounds were heard. They had covered only a short distance when the whistling and the shrieking stopped. The men halted and listened. There was a long silence, then an outburst of bestial yowling followed by human screams. Thinking their friend was being attacked, the men fought through the undergrowth. The man with the lantern in the lead. Moments later, their comrade appeared and collapsed in their arms. At first, he was too terrified to speak. His companions fired their guns to drive off the howler and then waited patiently for the poor man to gasp out the details. He said that by torchlight, he had followed the line of giant-sized footprints and suddenly came upon a huge creature covered with hair. A bear? No, an ape, a monstrous ape, seven or eight feet tall, two axe handles wide across the shoulders, one axe handle measured 25 inches, so approximately 50 inches wide of the shoulders or approximately there, with beady yellow eyes and bared teeth. The torchlight must have blinded it because it stood back stock still and one hand shading its eyes, then it let out a tremendous roar. The man hurled his torch into his face, but instead of shooting at it, the frightened man had run screaming toward the camp. While his companions did not doubt his word, they asked anxiously if he was sure the beast was an ape. Yes, he was positive. It really looked like an ape? Yes, an ape. Did it have fangs? You bet. Claws? The man said sarcastically that he hadn't stayed around long enough to study the brute. But after thinking it over, he said it had hands like a man only twice as large and covered with hair, right down to the fingernails. After that, they all decided to return to camp. After much discussion, the loggers agreed to take turns standing guard, day and night, until the ape was captured or shot. Two men would patrol the campsite, on two-hour watches, while the rest worked or slept. Since women present knew how to handle a gun, their assistance during the daylight hours was welcomed. The older boys and girls offered to gather firewood so that large fires could be kept blazing all night. Nothing unusual happened during the day or the early night hours, but the two whose turn came about 2 a.m. asked the men they were to relieve to stand by. They wanted to slip into the woods and really search for the ape. Reluctantly, the one patrol agreed to stand by while the relief party set out on their ape hunt. The hunters carried a small lantern because without some light they could not follow any tracks. But they were careful to keep the light at ground level. Their rifles were loaded and the safety catches thumbed back. Not long after, they came upon bits of charred cloth amidst a welter of huge footprints. This must be where their friend had thrown his torch at the monster. Yes, there were his boot marks. After examining the area closely, they found where the ape had turned deeper into the forest instead of backtracking to the road. They followed gingerly step by step over and around ferns, shrubs, outcroppings, and rocks and massive tree trunks. What happened next could only be guessed. Apparently, the ape-like creature loomed before them. One man started shooting while the other put down the lantern and shot, too. The patrol on guard at the campsite heard the volley of shots. They pounded each other happily. The hunters had killed the beast. But then they listened in mounting horror to frantic cries for help which were drowned out by horrendous shrieks and roaring. 
The awful noises continued for some moments and then faded out. The silence was even more frightening to the guards. They shouted for help and soon were surrounded by armed loggers and their wives. After a hasty explanation, all the men plunged into the woods, leaving the women to build up the fires and protect the children. The searchers shouted, swung lanterns, and fired their guns so that their friends would know that help was on the way. After advancing some distance, they stopped briefly and called to the men. When neither responded, they fired shots. No answering shots were heard. Once more the party advanced. Before long they came upon a gruesome sight. Their friends were dead. Judging from the blood stains, their bodies had been slammed against tree trunks and torn to pieces. A trail of blood-smeared footprints led off into the forest. The beast obviously had been wounded, but no man present was willing to track it through the dark forest. Some did volunteer to gather up the remains of their unfortunate comrades, while others returned to camp for blankets and to break the sad news. Within 24 hours, the campsite was deserted. The logging operation was moved to another location. A professional hunter with trained hounds was hired to assist hunters in tracking down the savage beast. It was never captured, nor its voice ever heard again. The most people could hope for was that it had crawled into a well-hidden lair and died. This is the end of the reading. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.